All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Wesley Calvert. And Wesley and I, it's another one of those stories where we met on social media. And uh, I noticed that he was local to me. At least he lives in the same state. And so I wanted to hop on a call with him and just find out how he goes about pursuing a lot of the animals that I pursue um, in a different part of the state than me. And so we chatted about anything and everything when it comes to Missouri outdoors. Um, one of the things that I'm very intrigued by is spoonbill snagging. I've never done it. I've heard really cool stories about it and Wesley and his friends do that quite often. And so I'm hoping in the coming years to maybe go and connect with Wesley and see what that is all about. But I hope you all enjoy this episode and here we go. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on with me today is Wesley Calvert. And Wesley and I, like a few of my guests so far, have we kind of connected on TikTok. My wife posted a, a video and he reached out and I was like, man, he's from Missouri. He loves the waterfowl hunt. I'm going to get this guy on the show. So uh, that's basically our background. I mean, we just met face to face over Zoom like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I you're your TikTok popped up on my for you page and I, I kind of was like, Oh, it's like, Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in podcasts and whatnot myself. So I always, you know, every time I come across a new one, I try to at least give it a listen, you know, give it a try. And I've really enjoyed your show so far. Well, good. I'm glad we, uh, I definitely, I told my wife when I was going to do it, I was like, I want it to be as bare bones as possible, like raw and uncut, just wherever the conversation goes. Um, I typically don't script it or write it, write down a bunch of questions or anything. And so I'm always glad to hear people like the raw, the raw podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, I noticed on your TikTok and on Instagram, I mean, it looks like you do it all between turkey hunting, duck hunting, spoonbill fishing. I mean, what, what are your main passions? Uh, my, my number one main passion is waterfowl hunting, you know, duck and goose hunting. Um, second, I would say turkey hunting. Um, and then, uh, we also like to get on the Missouri river, chase, uh, chase catfish, do trot lines, uh, bank poles, stuff like that, rod and reel fish. Um, we also do spoonbill snagging, um, during the season. Um, I didn't get to do as much of that this year as I'd like to, or as we have in the previous years, but man, there's nothing like reeling up one of them old dinosaurs. It's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I've never seen one in person, but I see those pictures of them and I can only imagine what it's like. I mean, some of these fish are almost as big as people. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh so I took a, I took a kid this year. Well, I can't say kid. He was, you know, early twenties. Um, but, uh, the fish was actually as big as him. Like it was, it was a 68 pound, spoonbill and that fish was as long as he was tall so it was pretty cool that is so wild yeah all the all the inquiries I got about being on the podcast I just went and like TikTok and Instagram stalked everybody and I'm like looking at pictures <laughs> and I, I was scrolling through your pictures I'm like man I've got to work out a deal with this guy if he's on the podcast I need to get him to take me spoonbill fishing at some point because everybody's been talking about it 
and I've been seeing all kinds of posts and I'm like, I can't, yeah, I just can't imagine hooking into something like that. Are you using like a hand line? So, so there's been this, it, it's kind of interesting because there's been a, there's been a transition in the, in snagging. So before um, you have a pole and uh, you put a 16 ounce weight at the bottom and then you um, like, like we go up, you know, 12 to 12 inches above the weight, tie our first hook, you go up 12 more inches, tie a second hook, 12 more and tie a third hook. So you've got three great big treble hooks um, and a 16 ounce weight. And um, you troll, you know, you troll through the channel and you're basically, you're just, just pulling, you drop the weight down to the bottom and you pull up, drop the weight down to the bottom, pull up. And that's how, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's how my dad did it. You know, my grandpa's both did it. Um, and then, so here recently, um, they've, they've come out with the Dipsy Diver, which is basically, it's a, it's a circle disc and, uh, you tie your line to, it basically acts like a weight, but you tie your line to it and it, basically holds the hooks at the bottom and you put your poles in a rod holder and troll along and you don't have to pull on the pole anymore. Oh, wow. So it's actually, you know, whereas snagging was more of a, you know, more of a physical sport, you know, a lot of the, a lot of older guys didn't really like to participate in it because it was hard on them and it was hard to really take kids and stuff because they, you know, small kids can't pull on the pole like that you know you kind of got to snag it and then let them reel it in whereas you know these these dipsy divers now it's it's gotten a lot easier to where you know you can get you can get young kids out there you can you know it's more enjoyable for the older generation as well so yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of neat to see the to see the transition of of the technology i guess okay See, and that, uh, that's actually completely different than what I was expecting um, to snagging to be like. I think in my mind, I automatically went to like, I watched Swamp People a couple episodes of it years ago. And I watched yeah. them, and they'll like throw yeah. a rope it, just start pulling them in on gators. And so like, just in my mind, that's automatically what I thought it was. But that's interesting that you do a weight and then hooks up above the weight and you just troll through and start yep troll through um and there's also you know there are certain areas where people can snag from the bank so like if you don't have a boat you can go to like a smaller river say um for example on the osage river um just below Bacchal dam um people can fish below the 50 54 bridge and that's that's one area where people you'll see them you know open a day of snag and see them you'll see them lined all the way across the bank you know they're casting out in the middle and just just pulling you know pulling the weight across the bottom and trying trying to snag fish so that's crazy and i mean everybody talks about these fish they're they they don't eat like bait right they're almost like a whale where they feel yeah yeah so they're they're filter feeders and they feed off of um plankton so okay. basically they just sit on the bottom of the lake and, you know, let, let the water rush through their gills and that's, they, they catch the plankton. That's how they eat. So that's why you have to snag them. They don't, you know, it's not like you're throwing a hot dog on a hook out there and yeah. waiting for a catfish or something like that. So. So if you had to choose, would you rather be catfishing or uh spoonbill snagging? Uh, catfishing. 
catfishing. Catfishing. It it definitely so spoonbill is is good to eat. Um, it's got you know it's more of a you know catfish is more like kind of a flaky consistency in the meat, whereas spoonbill it's a little it's got a little more. I guess the best I can explain is kind of a rubbery texture because yeah. they they don't have any bones in their body. They're, the the only bone they have in the body is the spine, and the spine's not even a bone. It's a it's like a gel core basically. Dang. So they they have not a single bone in their body. That's so crazy, man. I'm glad we got on the spoonbills because I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they're it's it's pretty interesting stuff. So. Yep. And, and a lot of, and a lot of people, you know, I've always, you know, on my TikToks and stuff, I've had people like, how do you catch those things? Or where do you catch those things at? Or, how, you know, just, you know, interested in it because people, you know, snagging is big in Missouri and Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oklahoma, you can snag all year round, um, but you, you, you're only a lot of a certain amount of fish per year. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not 100 percent sure on the exact regs down there. Um, but you can snag all year round, but you're only allotted a certain amount of fish. Whereas Missouri, um, March 15th, uh, through April 30th is the season. And you basically get two, two fish, two, two fish is your daily limit. And then, uh, four is your possession limit. So, okay. nice. Um, so with, with catfishing, do you do traditional or do you ever go noodling? I have never been noodling and I, I'm going to be honest, I probably will never go noodling because I have just heard horror stories of people getting hold of turtles and, you know, stuff like that. And I just, I don't, I don't know if I can stick my hand in a hole, not knowing what's there, you know, maybe, maybe if I went with somebody, you know, a little more seasoned and they could like reach in there like, okay, yeah, that's a fish in there. Maybe I would do it, but it's still pretty, pretty touch and go. Oh yeah. I don't, I just don't do well underwater, especially if I can't see. Like yeah. to think that you've got a fish that size latched onto your arm and then you have to get it out of the hole. Otherwise you're kind of stuck down there until it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think that's for me, man. Um, well, I want to touch on another thing that you, you mentioned, you said that you'd taken a 20 something year old out um, hunting and then also like taking kids out and teaching them stuff. So from what I understand, one of the things you're passionate about is getting new hunters or new people into hunting. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So I, you know, my passion being waterfowl, I always, I always enjoy taking new people um, because it seems like people never really understand, you know, your passion for something until they actually get out there and get to experience it themselves. Yeah. And I like to, you know, I like to, I like to see that same, you know, that same enjoyment or see them enjoy that same, you know, excitement that I'm enjoying. So I'm a very, you know, I'm a, I guess you would say a social hunter. I don't, I don't really hunt a lot by myself. You know, I've always, you know, I'm always hunting with my brother. I'm always hunting with my buddies. You know, I just kind of enjoy the, the camaraderie and fellowship, you know, out there more than, you know, more than anything. So, you know, it's always, it's always fun to take new people and always, always fun to, to answer the questions, how does this work? How do you know, how do you do this? How does this, you know, why are they doing that? Or, you know, why are you, you know, why are you setting the decoys like that? Why are you, you know, why are we sitting here? You know, just, just the general, you know, questions and, you know, explaining how things work. So. 
Yeah, I, I find that very intriguing. I mean, I feel like my passion for it builds as I'm able to teach other people. Like when I go out with someone new and they've got all the questions. I mean, I've I've had so many random questions out in the field and I just love it because if I don't know the answer, I've got to go do some research and come back to them with an answer. And then yeah. on top of that, I like to find out random facts about what we're hunting and just throw those out there because <laughs> typically I'm hunting with a bunch of seasoned dudes and then also some new hunters. And then when I throw these facts out there, like about how fast a turkey can fly or the fact that they've got uh, photographic memory and they can like photographically map out an area and remember what it looks like they're just like wait what are you kidding me and like even the seasoned hunters have no idea about some of that stuff and so it's always a good time getting new people out yeah you know it's whenever you have conversations with people about you know about taking new hunters and you know especially you know waterfowl hunting and and fishing and just just hunting in general you know people people don't like to give up their their hunting and fishing spots you know that's that's every that's every outdoorsman's you know little you know you keep it keep it here on the keep <laughs> yeah. it here close to your chest um you know so that's it's it's kind of a you know people see it like a double-edged sword are like man i'm taking these people to my hunting spots now you know they're gonna bring their friends here but you know you got to kind of take the good with the bad and you know especially if you're hunting public land it's public land and everybody's welcome to it so yeah absolutely i know a lot of people especially out west i mean people get really angry about their public land hunting spot if someone else shows up and i'm like man it's public like you're a guest here just as the same as everybody else and even like my private hunting spots i don't i don't mind bringing new people out there i really don't like some of my buddies might not like it as much you know the ones that i hunt there with but i just took out two guys turkey hunting when was it? That would have been last Wednesday, I think. And they were guys, I was on their podcast and I had never met them in person, but I said, Hey, if you're looking for a Turkey spot, come on out and we'll sit in a blind together and see what we can call in. And, uh, yeah, there's just something about getting new people out or being able to share an experience or even a property with them, uh, especially when they don't have any of their own. And yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about Wednesday when we went out so down here, we had a bunch of tornadoes and tornado warnings and stuff. Um, yeah, one week ago today. And so I got these guys out hunting and they were like getting alerts on their phone all morning long. And I mean, it was, the weather was pretty crappy, but they were getting alerts on their phone and one of their girlfriends messaged them and was like, I need you to come home. A tornado just touched down a couple miles from the house. And he's like, dude, I'm going to have to pack up and head out. And I was like, okay, they start looking at it. And it turns out a tornado actually went through the ridge line that they hunt on public land. And they're like, we would have literally been sitting right there. It, <clears throat> excuse me. They said, we'd li literally be sitting right there if we hadn't come out with you this morning. And I was like, well, man, if that's not provision, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. We were, we weren't able to get any turkeys in that day. They just, I mean, it was rainy and windy and we couldn't hear anything. We couldn't even tell where they were roosted, but, um, you've had some success this year, right? Or, you know, your party has. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I turkey up mainly with my, my brother. Um, we, we have a spot that we hunt religiously every year, public land. Um, and we, we got in and, uh, got on the ridge that we knew, you know, there's, there's turkeys there year after year and got in there 
um, got set up. There was two birds gobbling. Um, we got set up on them and uh, my brother was setting, actually setting the decoys out. And he, as soon as he like set the last decoy on the ground and was walking back, the birds gobbled and they had flown down. They were on the ground. Oh man. Uh, and I was like, so he got, got back to the tree real quick, sat down. I was, I was kind of, he was facing, he was, he was kind of facing, you know, we're kind of doing like an L in case they kind of like loop around us. Yep. Well, there was the two of them, they came in together and they walked right up this old logging road and it wasn't, you know, wasn't 10 minutes and they're, they're basically in our lap. They're at 20 yards at the decoys. Oh, and man. I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't, I said, I can't, I told my brother, I can't get around on them. You know, I'm, the way I'm sitting, I just, there, it's not going to be possible. I said, go ahead shoot your bird. And then, you know, we'll wait and see if we can get the other one to come back, you know, call to him or see if they'll come back and beat up on the other one. Yep. And uh, he shot and killed his bird and the other one took off and he was, he hightailed it for the hills. He was not sticking around to find out what just happened. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, 15 minutes into the season, he tagged his first bird and, you know, it was, it was exciting. It was exciting. So. Yeah. Turkey hunting is one of those things that I'm getting into more and more. I'd say today I got more excited about it than I ever have. And I didn't even kill a bird today, but me and my buddy got in on Monday into this field and we had to wait a full week because we, we doubled up opening morning. So we couldn't shoot another one for a week. And so Anyways, we get out in the field um, uh, this Monday, and we're, we're like set up in this like bottomland area. There's a row of trees along a creek bottom. We know they roost around there. Um, didn't know where they had roosted that night, but we got our decoys out, and he looks at me and he goes, "Dude, I gotta take a dump, man." And I was <laughs> like, "I was like, okay." I was like, "Dude, the wind's blowing." at us i was like just go back behind uh and take one in the tree line and he's like okay and he stands up and he walks about i don't know 10 steps and all of a sudden we just hear that was roosted in the tree three trees over from us and it was a big old tom and it dropped out across the creek and we never saw it again and I was oh. like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So then today we went back to that same spot. We gave it a day to rest, went back this morning, set up in the same spot. And all of a sudden we start hearing gobbling and he ended up finding it with his binos before sunrise up in a tree at about 300 yards. And that was the first time I had ever like been out there and witnessed one gobbling up in a tree. I'd heard, I've heard him a hundred times, but to actually see it and then be able to record some video of it was a pretty cool deal. And I'm not going to lie when I say it was in the tree gobbling. Every time I'd gobble, it would gobble for probably 50 minutes. And I'd say it was over 150 gobbles that I got to watch that thing do. So it was kind of a cool morning. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always awesome. You know, when those birds get fired up like that and they just gobble, just right one right after another, after another, you know, it's just, it's, it's cool to just sit there and listen to them. You know, I had a, I had kind of a, I had a big gaff, you know, opening weekend of turkey season. Um, it was Saturday morning and I, I almost didn't get up and go that morning. It was supposed to be kind of rainy and, you know, um, so I was like, I 
I set my alarm and I got up, I checked the radar. It's like, oh, the rain's going to hold off. You know, it's, it's not supposed to rain until later in the morning. So I got up and went, um, got in real early, got set down and was just waiting for the bird to gobble. And it got daylight, no gobbles, no gobbles. I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh no, he's not here. And um, pretty soon hens started yelping and then they flew down. Well, I kind of, I kind of started calling too, just to kind of see if I get them fired up, see if maybe, you know, something will fire off. Yeah. And, um, I thought I'd heard a gobble way down the ridge. Like I could barely hear it. And I'm like, surely that wasn't him. Um, well, I kept, you know, kind of, kind of calling back and forth to the hens. Well, they ended up coming up to me. They came within like 20 yards of me, went in behind me down the ridge the other way. And I was like, well, they've, been past me a few minutes i'm going to stand up here and um kind of get my bearings and you know as soon as i stand up the bird gobbles and he's probably i don't know maybe 100 to 200 yards away and i'm like oh there he is so i sat back down real quick and um as i get to calling to him these other hens that had went past me they came back they came back they walked right in front of me again and they just beelined it right for him and um, he was, he got fired up and was gobbling good and was coming across. He came across, you know, two, two, uh, two small ridges to get to me. And he was on the next ridge over and I could hear, you know, that's one thing I enjoy about turkey and is once turkeys break like a certain range, you can tell by the gobble, you know, you can hear it in their chest and the rattle of their chest. And I was like, oh, he's, he's getting close. He's getting close. And I kind of went silent and didn't, you know, didn't say anything to him. Well, he gobbled and he was in, he was down in the bottom in between coming, basically coming up in between the two ridges. And so I got my gun up and I got ready and I could hear him spitting and drumming, you know, the whole way up. And pretty soon he, he, I seen his head poke over some bushes and I was like, oh, there he was. And he was kind of like half strut and he walked through and um i pulled my gun up on him and pulled the trigger and he took off running the other way and i'm like like i was so beside myself yeah but i couldn't i couldn't believe what you know what had just happened like i was holding it right on his neck i'm like i don't know how i missed that bird and so i i kind of stood there and sulked about it for a minute and then i picked up my stuff i walked back to the truck went and had breakfast and i was like I need to shoot my gun and see, you know, I, I just had some kind of feeling like I just, I need to check my gun and see, you know, I'm not using a red dot or anything. Just, yeah. just I got an 870 with a bead sight. And so I, I patterned it and it was shooting six inches high oh. and about two inches to the left patterning. Oh man. What I had done was I, so I normally shoot, um, long beard xrs and three and a half inch mm-hmm. well those shells just aren't very comfortable to shoot so i said well i'll just back down to the same shell just three inch shell yep my gun just didn't like it i, I stepped back to a step back to a three and a half inch shell and it i mean it was night and day difference like felt like his head was covered in pellets at 20 yards with that three and a half inch shell versus three inch shell and i was like 
I can't believe I didn't do this before the season. Yeah. You know, so I was, I've been kicking myself ever since, you know, you know, should have patterned my shotgun, you know, before the season, but you know, hindsight 2020 now. So yeah, that's one thing I didn't get out and do this year was pattern my shotgun. I almost always do it, but this year I couldn't even find ammo. I waited too long and I was like, man, I need, I need ammo and I can't find any. And then I was debating buying a new shotgun. Well, then I was like, man, I'm going to get a new shotgun and I won't be able to find ammo for that either. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back out with the same gun. I use a 20 gauge, nothing fancy. This thing doesn't even accept a choke. Like, I mean, it's an old hand-me-down shotgun. Yeah. And so I went out and I, or I went up to my ammo bucket and I was thumbing through there and I had three rounds and I was like, I'm definitely not patterning it with only three rounds. <laughs> If I shoot one and then have to shoot a second one, that means I only get one shot, but I've got two tags for the year. So luckily, yeah, that was... luckily it's 16 yards. It didn't really matter. And uh, hopefully I can get another one in that close. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was tough. You know, my brother happened to go in Walmart and uh, he called me one day and he's like, Hey, I found two boxes of three and a half inch shells. He's like, if I buy them, do you want them? Because he he his gun only shoots three inch shells. I was like, yeah, buy them. You know, we'll I'll use them eventually, somehow, some way. You know, but as hard as it is to find shells right now, buy them. We'll we got to take what we can get. So yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I've got I had a twelve gauge for a while, and I ended up selling it. But I was looking for ammo, and I found like twenty five turkey loads of twelve gauge in my ammo can. And I was <laughs> like, of course, I've got so much for a gun that I don't have anymore. Yeah. Have you, uh, so you're shooting an 870? Is it a 12 yep. gauge? It is 12 gauge, yes. Have you seen, have you seen those new 410s, those just break, break over single shot? I think the Savage. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Stevens. Yeah. 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 I've actually debated, you know, I've actually debated buying one of those, you know, just to have because eventually when, you know, when my daughter's big enough or, you know, um, we actually have, uh, our second kid on the way due in July. Um, it's a boy. So I figured, nice. you know, it'd be nice to have, you know, be nice to have just to pass down to one, you know, for them to use when they get big enough. Yeah. But yeah, those things I've seen people shoot some mean patterns with those. Yeah. And people are, people are saying that TSS shot is no joke. Like it's good stuff. Apparently. Man, I was looking at it and my wife was like, hey, listen, uh, you can get a new shotgun this year. And I was like, awesome. And I was looking at some real nice ones. And then I was like, I saw a video just pop up when I was researching which shotgun I should get. And someone was talking about that Savage Stevens. And I was like, a 410, huh? And I think the caption on the video was like 410 at 60 yards. And I was like, that got my interest. So I opened up the video. Yeah, yeah they were sure enough with that TSS load. They were shooting 60 yard patterns. I mean, pretty good patterns, better than my 20 gauge does. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I have an old, um, I can't even tell you what the manufacturer is of it. Um, I got it, I got it handed down to me by my, my great grandfather. Um, but it's an old bolt action 410. And I bought a box of TSS cause I was, I was planning on, you know, if I got, if I got a, if I got my first bird quick, um, I was gonna, I was gonna try to try to kill one with that 410. And I shot, I shot that gun and it's not like there's no choke in it. It's just a basically a full barrel 410. 
Yeah. Um, I shot it at 20 yards and I shot it at 30 yards and it was, I mean, it was dead on, you know? Um, so I was, I was, I was kind of wanting to try that this year, but, um, just, just haven't had the chance. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still debating. I think maybe for next year, I'm going to pick up a 410. I've only had one and I ended up getting rid of it because I don't, I don't remember why I got rid of it, but I just got rid of it because I think I just never shot it. But I'm like, I feel like yeah. that'd be a lot of fun, especially with today's bullet technology. I mean, they're packing those loads so well now that you can, you can knock down anything with, with those guns. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's, that's something that's just absolutely crazy to think about, you know, I remember back, you know, first first starting turkey hunting, and everybody was like, "You got to use a twelve gauge. You got to use a twelve gauge." Yep. And then people started venturing into like, "Well, we're using, you know, people. You see people using uh, twenty gauge now, and people. There's. It seems like now there's this whole like sub gauge culture. You know, like people are starting to use the the twenty eight gauge, the sixteen gauge, the four tens. Yep. You know, duck hunting. You know, upland game hunting. You know. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to see yeah and i feel like i mean it's kind of a uh good and bad thing because it i thought about it like man if i went to a 28 gauge with this whole ammo crisis going on right now i'm sure i could probably find 28 gauge still but 28 gauge is hard to come by when there's ammo in stock and yeah. so, like you know maybe i couldn't i don't know that's why i always kind of shy away from getting specialty round shotguns or rifles just because i'm afraid i'm not going to be able to find not going to be able to find yeah. or i'm going to have to pay you know 60 bucks a box for it yeah yeah absolutely so, so uh with waterfowl hunting let's talk about that for a little bit because i mean you had a ton of waterfowl pictures and a couple of them that i saw you were cooking with a blackstone grill yeah Is yeah that so that's something we 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 call those our our comfortable hunts you know <laughs> so we we like to hunt uh, fountain grove conservation area quite a bit um here in missouri and um a, a part of the morning draw um the spots are they have they have blinds on that area so basically like a pit blind you can go and you know go and sit in um for your morning for your for your hunt that day yeah and um usually if we get you know that type of blind we'll we'll take the blackstone in with us we'll cook you know breakfast burritos or you know breakfast sandwiches something you know yeah. something along those lines you know while we're while we're sitting there um you know hunting and stuff so um and then we also have a a boat that we hunt out of you know hunt the hunt the rivers and and big lakes and stuff like that and we like to just kind of get away from people and you know kind of enjoy the hunt you know sit there and make breakfast and enjoy the morning yeah I started I mean there's something about cooking a hot meal while you're out hunting and the first person who got me into it I was hunting the Mississippi River up in Wisconsin that's where I was born and raised and uh we were waterfowl hunting but up there opening day of duck season you can't shoot until noon for some reason it's just a rule and it's been that way forever. And so we would get out to this spot. We called it Mallard Point and there was birds all over the place. But uh, we would get out there and we'd go out in the reeds and then we'd bring a little propane stove and we'd cook breakfast. And it was just tradition. I mean, it'd be so light out because, you know, it's 
it could be 9 a.m the sun's fully up and there's birds flying right over our heads and it's like there's nothing we yeah. can do about it <laughs> to put salt in the wound the uh minnesota is right on the other side of the mississippi and they're over there shooting all morning <laughs> long and so we're just sitting here like come on 12 o'clock can't get here soon enough but that spot was so hot that we had to be there at 2 a.m just to get the spot for a 12 uh, 12 p.m hunt and uh 10 hours is a long time to sit especially if you don't have hot food in the blind Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that would that would definitely make for a long day sitting there listening to people shoot across the river, and you're just kind of sitting there like oh, twiddling your thumbs, you know, oh, trying yeah. to pass the time. So yeah, I get that. Well, and it was really tough because up there, I mean, we'd have every type of bird imaginable coming through. I mean, you'd you'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, here comes a drake pintail, you know, twelve feet above your head, and you're like, it's not going to be here in another five hours when we when we can actually shoot, but. Yeah. Man, there's something about those black stones that I, I went and bought one this year, and I absolutely love it. I haven't cooked with it in the blind yet, but we always take one elk hunting in Colorado. We get a wall tent set up, and it's amazing because it's dual purpose. You know, you cook your food on it, but then also mm -hmm. that thing will heat up the whole wall tent. And so I'm yeah. guessing when you're out duck hunting, that's also an added bonus. You just put your hands over the top of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it keeps it warm. Definitely warms it up a little bit in the blind. It gives you a source of heat when it's cold outside. So, um, so do you do any other type of hunting? I mean, you talked about turkey, waterfowl, uh, fishing. Or I see your hat. You've got a king's hat uh, with a double drop tine buck on it, and I've got to just think you're into hunting whitetails as well. Yes. So, I used to be I. I, that's kind of where I cut my teeth as, you know, when I started hunting, um, I was actually listening to, I, I went back and was listening to, to some of your episodes and I heard you talking about, you know, you used to, um, you know, you'd used to send your, your parents and sisters off to the deer woods, you know, and you'd wait, you know, wait for them to get back patiently. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of rung very true for me too. Cause that's, that's kind of the way, you know, it was around here um growing up you know um we'd always have no one ever really called it deer camp back then but it was it was always deer camp you know looking back at it you know my my dad my grandpa and my uncles you know every everybody you know like in the area that you know that was close friends or family we would all gather you know at my at my grandparents house opening weekend of deer season you know my grandma would cook a big pot of chili and just just stuff you know, and everybody would come in, you know, mid, mid, late morning and, you know, people, you know, bring their deer by and show or, you know, come in, eat lunch, go back out, you know, and um, that was always something I, I couldn't wait to do. I couldn't wait to get in the woods with my dad and my grandpa. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I cut my teeth on. Um, I, I got out of deer hunting a little bit after, um, after I graduated high school. Um, it just kind of, I got into waterfowl hunting and it just kind of took over for me. Yeah. And, um, but I've, I've gotten back into it a little bit recently. Um, I, I killed my first deer this last rifle season. I, I shot a small doe, um, you know, first deer I'd killed in several, several years. And it was, it, I mean, it was like, 
it was like I killed a you know a big buck. I was like, oh man, that's what that feels like. Yep. <laughs> so so yeah, I've I'm definitely um, I'm definitely going to get back into 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 deer hunting again. You know, I really enjoyed bow hunting. I killed um, you know I killed a couple deer with my with my bow, and that was something I really enjoyed. I just kind of got away from it for a while and. I'm starting to get back into it. So starting yeah. to get, starting to get the drive back for it. Nice. Yeah. There's something about whitetail hunting, man. I just can't get over it. I've always bounced back and forth. I started out whitetail hunting. Then I was introduced to waterfowl that became my number one for a long time. And then I got a bow and I was like, all right, now this is my number one moved down to Missouri, waterfowl became it again. And then I got property to hunt and now, now it's back to whitetail with a bow and so i'm like i just can't i can't make up my mind that's all right though yeah yeah and i think what kind of kind of drove me away from it a little bit was i think you know up here in in central central and north central missouri um you know land gets leased a lot you know a lot of a lot of leases a lot of um you know places like that and it's just tough to tough to get on those places anymore you know I used to I remember when you're growing up you could you used to be able to go to talk to people like hey you know I think I could get permission to, to deer hunt this year you know to turkey hunt and you know people would more often tell you yes or no you know and then now it seems like well we've got that we've got that lease now or no we don't like people hunting or you know stuff like that so yeah but you know with the way you know public land is now you know there's there's no excuse you know get out on public land to get out there and hunt so yep yeah we're we're blessed here in Missouri I don't know if you've noticed it up there but I've been so surprised by how well the Missouri Department of Conservation takes care of the public land like down here they'll flood they'll flood fields for waterfowl like crazy and I mean that's just something that I never I think because we had so much water already up in Wisconsin I just didn't see a lot of those projects going on, but I've hunted a ton of public land waterfowl hunts down here. And every time I'm just blown away by the amount of work, the months of preparation that they put in just to get a field ready for waterfowl season. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that the amount of time and, and effort and everything. And, you know, then you have a year um, like, uh, I believe it was 2019 when there was, we had, we had a big flood that summer and it basically wiped out every like you know wiped out everything in the river bottoms all the crops everything and it was just and you could tell duck hunting that year was not just wasn't wasn't as good as it normally is just because there wasn't there wasn't that food source there and there you know there wasn't the, the habitat that there normally is yeah so well man it has been awesome talking to you sorry i've got to cut this one a little bit shorter um i'm kind of on a deadline we got invited last minute to a cinco de mayo party and so i'm up in my buddy's garage luckily this is where i always or where i usually film my um podcast or record them but i know my wife and my kids are out there and she could probably use a relief here in a second yeah no i i understand i understand well, man, I definitely appreciate having you on the show and we're going to have to keep in touch and connect and hopefully get out and do a waterfowl hunt or something this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay in touch. We'll get together and we'll, uh, we'll chase something down. Yeah. Before I let you go, um, would you mind sharing your TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, whatever handles you've got so people can follow along? 
Yeah, so um, they can follow me at Wicked West 18 on uh, TikTok and then Wesleyman18 on Instagram. And if you want to add me on Facebook, it's Wesley Calvert. Sweet, man. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that is going to wrap up today's show. I enjoyed sitting down with Wesley and chatting with him. I always like uh, meeting new people and getting to hear their experience and what it is that they love about the outdoors. And so I appreciate Wesley coming on the show and sharing that with me. Hopefully in the future I can get out and do a waterfowl trip or go spoonbill snagging or something like that with him. Um, But for those of you listening, I love connecting with new people. So reach out, even if it's just to share hunting stories or trail camera pictures, Um, send me a message or uh, tag me in a post. That would be super awesome. Um, And if you haven't already, please hop on whatever platform it is you're listening on, leave a review and a rating that helps me out as I create more content. Um, It helps push it out to more people so that more people Uh, can hear about what I'm doing and hear the stories of these awesome guests. So until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.